Well, we're continuing on with our series, Seeking, Seeking the King. And uh, last time we were into this was the end of August, so we've taken a little bit of a break. We're getting back into Saul and David, and eventually David, as we lead up to Easter. So we'll be taking a look at that. And in that little clip, you may remember, we ended with the idea of jealousy. And jealousy never looks good on anyone. It doesn't look good on you when you wear it. And eventually, when you and I are jealous, it begins to creep out and be demonstrated in our actions. And when we left off last time in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we saw Saul's jealousy towards David. And uh, it was starting to creep out, drip out everywhere. And also, as we're looking at these kings, we start to realize that each and every king, Saul, David, the ones that will follow, all actually point to Jesus being the king. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, because none of these kings, none of these kings do what we had hoped they would do. And we see the same thing in our own lives today, these thousands of years later. We, we look for a leader that will bring, you know, just peace, prosperity, satisfaction, all these kinds of things, just a, a good rhythm to life. And no matter who it is, none perfectly fit the bill. They all have gaps. Leaders have gaps. We all do. And it just reminds us where it screams the fact that we need a perfect king. And that perfect king is Jesus Christ. And we need him ruling our hearts. And someday he'll set up his kingdom and he'll set things right. And we hope for that. But in the meanwhile, we have to walk in this tension of, of hoping that we can have leaders, hoping that uh, they can do a good job, but realizing that, that they're never going to be perfect. They all point to Jesus. And when it comes to Saul and David, we see with Saul this jealousy. Verse 14, we read, And everything David did, he had great success, because the Lord was with him. If you have a message guide, I would underline, the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. The Lord's with him. Remember the story? The Lord had left Saul. Saul had kind of pushed him out, if you will, by his disobedience. Now today, when you and I say yes to Jesus, uh, it's not because of our obedience and not because of our actions. So we don't have to be nervous about pushing Jesus out. But we can, we can build calluses on our hearts so that we don't hear from him or we don't hear him clearly. So in a sense, in a practical sense, we can push Jesus, push God to the sidelines, even though he doesn't completely leave us. So we need to be understanding that, that God with us is an important thing. Our bottom line for that Sunday was this. Jesus or jealousy resents God's goodness to others while ignoring God's goodness in your life. 
And we don't know if Saul, Saul would not have regained uh, his kingdom, but we just don't know what would have happened if Saul had uh, done a real change of course, if he really had decided to be faithful and follow God and obey him, how that would have affected everything. But he's on this path. It's about him. He's self-centered. And because of that, everything falls apart for his life. And we see it playing out with his jealousy. And likewise, we may not have a life that's as effective or makes ripples like a Saul and like a David. But jealousy in our own life can have ripple effects. And it can affect those around us. So we need to be very aware how it subtly can uh, creep itself into our lives. Now today, as we continue on looking at Saul and David in this relationship, and, and primarily Saul, but what he's doing, uh, we're going to see that Saul is, is basically really uh, wicked good at being wicked bad. And all of us kind of maybe even take some satisfaction. Oh, they're wicked good at being wicked bad. But if we slow down and really think about our own lives, our own hearts, we can be pretty good at being bad, at being out of alignment, out of having things going on in our heart that, that shouldn't be there. And when I think of uh, some of these uh, people that I've seen over the years, especially, let's say, on TV or in a movie, uh, sometimes these wicked uh, good at being wicked bad, we kind of have a, a place in our heart for them. We know that they're not too good, but we still kind of like them. And uh, in the Pulse this week, I went out with that question, so on the Think It Over section, who are those uh, wicked bad people that you kind of like in a TV show or in a movie? And uh, one guy I think of is this guy. socially. His name's Jaws. He kills people. A real life villain. And he still has a mother, a father, a girlfriend, or a dog or something. You kind of feel sorry for the, the uh, coyote shoved out the train window uh, by bond and falling down the side of the train. Uh, he would get up and brush off his clothes, straighten up his tie. Bond is normally indestructible, and he's up against this indestructible villain. He had his dark side. So Jaws became a very likable uh, character, uh, surprisingly. Anyone like Jaws? I kind of like him. I have a soft place in my heart for him. You know, the, you know, the good bad guy, you know? And, and, and Saul really is kind of this way. I, I kind of have a kind of have a, a sadness for Saul. Uh, if you really were to compare what is recorded in Scripture, and there's obviously some gaps in the sense of not mistakes, but like everything isn't written about Saul. But if you compare Saul and David's life, Saul was a pretty good guy compared to David. I mean, David had a heart after God, and we're going to see that that's the big difference. We sang Emmanuel, God with us. But the things that David did and the things that Saul did, they're not stark difference. The one thing is missing is what is going on really in the hearts of these two guys. So, so David could be wicked good at being wicked bad. 
when you think of Uriah and Bathsheba and all those kinds of things, some of the times where he would take a census that was just to kind of put his trust in his army rather than God. There are these kinds of things that go on. And so when you look at Saul and speak of some of the wins and how he brought stability to the kingdom and those kinds of things, those were good things. But then when you see this jealousy and you see this difference in his heart, it just goes off the rails. But, but David also went off the rails. So picking up at verse 17, Saul said to David, here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For the Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. So all of a sudden we start to see that Saul is pretty good at being bad. He's pretty cunning. He's behind the scenes. Uh, he's, he uses people around him. This is crazy that he's actually going to use the wedding of his daughter to kind of get David taken care of. His hope is, oh, son of the king, when he goes out into battle, he'll have a bigger target on his back. This is, this is pretty clever. And so he's thinking about this, and, uh, you know, I, I have uh, three daughters. Uh, one's married, so I walked her down the aisle. Got two walking down the aisle this year. And, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about how I could calculate do something like this. I was just happy that the girls are going to be getting married, and I'm happy with the guys that they've, they've found. There wasn't this uh, other thing going on with that or with that to come. And uh, you see this with Saul. It's, it's pretty clever. So he, he goes on to do this. And, and if you remember back David and Goliath, David was already promised a daughter. And that hasn't taken place yet. So David's trying to think about, I mean, Saul's trying to think about how he works this. So he's working this behind the scenes. And uh, this, this, this isn't good stuff. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given to marriage to Adrel from of um, Meholah. And so you see, David is still a humble guy. He, he doesn't think he deserves this. He holds off. Saul just moves on, finds somebody else to marry his daughter off. So we see this going on. So we're seeing a little bit of David's heart. And then time goes on, and David is still a thorn in Saul's side. He's still winning battles. He's still doing good things, and he wants to get rid of him. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, Micah, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Wow, Saul is not giving up at this. He, he really wants a mark on David. He really wants David out in the battlefield. He really wants the Philistines to go, let's take out the, son, the king's son-in-law. And so he's, he's working his angles. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you. 
and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David. But David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. He's thinking of the honor of being the king's son-in-law, and he's hesitant to that. So what does uh, Saul do? When Saul's servants told what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistines' foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. A little gross thinking about what's going on there, but, uh, you know, we've got this going on. He, Saul is just out to kill David. David's honorable, want, doesn't have the money to do any dowries, doesn't have any of those kinds of things. So he, he wants to do something to, in a sense, get credit in Saul's eyes. So this is given to him, and uh, he, he's excited about this. He's excited about proving his allegiance, his love, his worth, all of these kinds of things. Seems very odd to us. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took with his men and went out and killed 200 Philistines instead of 100 and brought back the foreskins. They counted out the full number, that must have been a treat, to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter Michael in marriage. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David, you can underline that again, we're starting to see the two different things in the heart. Saul and David, it's very similar on a lot of areas, very different in a lot of areas, but this is key. The, Saul, the Lord was with David, and his daughter, Micah, loved David. Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Saul's trying to get rid of David. David's influence, all this. Everything he does to minimize David, David ends up taking whatever that is and turning it around, and it becomes something positive. I, I want to say this to you. This isn't always this way, but it's a principle. When someone is on your back for you doing faithful things, Often, God will turn those things around and bring blessings into your life. So if you handle things faithfully, we're going to see in the future that uh, David has a couple opportunities to kill Saul, doesn't take those. David has integrity in this area because the Lord is with him. He listens to the Spirit of the Lord in his life. And when Saul is after him, it seems like at every crossroad, it might get bad for a little while, but God uses those crossroads to turn things around. And David doesn't take things into his own hands. So just a side little thing, encourage you, if you're feeling under the gun of others for unfair reasons, I mean, you need to take inventory and see what is true and what is not true. But once you've gone through that, don't think you need to be strategic and calculated to turn things around. 
put it in God's hands, and God will work it out. Joseph does the same thing. Old Testament Joseph with multicolored jacket, coat. Um, David does it. I, I th- we can do that too. And, and at the right time and the right way, God takes those things and somehow turns it around. Well, what I want to see you to see is a little bit of a different idea. I want you to get a picture of what is going on in Saul's heart. So I'm going to give you a proverb that speaks to the matter of the heart. It's not speaking to this issue of David and Saul and king and marriage and all that stuff. But what is going on in Saul's heart is being spoken to. So in Proverbs, we read this. Be sensible when you dine with a stingy man and don't eat more than you should. For as he thinks within, so he is. He will grudgingly say, go ahead and eat all you want. But in his heart, he resents the fact he has to pay for your meal. You'll be sorry you ate anything at all. It will turn your stomach when you realize the meal is a sham. That's what's going on in Saul's life. Saul, it's a sham. It's a sham. This this line in here, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. We need to not have, uh, be paranoid. Uh, We shouldn't have a chip on our shoulder. But we should understand that often the outward expressions of niceness and grace and kindness and whatever are not what's going on in the heart. And we just need to realize that. And so uh, Solomon writes this, and Solomon says, you're having a meal with someone, and they're like, yeah, 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 you know. And in a sense, the, the person's overstaying their welcome, but the person that's uh, being, supposedly being gracious on the outside is really not that way on the inside. And Saul is saying, hey, have my daughter. No one would think. I mean, it's crazy. Nobody would think he's giving these daughters or trying to get uh, David to marry a daughter so that uh, he can actually have him killed on the battlefield. But that's what's going on. Jesus talks about being as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. How do you do that? How do you, how do you live in tension of that? without being jaded, without, again, being paranoid, without reading between the lines where there's nothing, the Spirit of the Lord is with you. That's the only way. That's the only way. To be sensitive to Emmanuel, God with us. When you and I make decisions, and we're making decisions out of, we talked about this a few weeks ago, out of um, uh, reason, not revelation, Revelation, the idea of God's spirit revealing things to you in your life through his word and other things. When we just are calculated, uh, we can be in trouble. So when you navigate these relationships and you have this uh, gut feeling, you need to make sure, I need to make sure it's really Holy Spirit, not just that I had a bad meal the night before and it caused me to have bad dreams. So this idea of spirit in our lives. So that's how you can see you can have a Saul who is 
wicked good at being wicked bad. And uh, we're just going to walk through that, make some principles from this story. Uh, first thing we see is uh, first, try to get David wed to get him dead. How do you like that? I think a guy named Clarence came up with this. You see that in your resource where I got that idea. First, try to get David wed to get him dead. Just, just crazy. Just crazy. Again, Saul is really good at being really bad. But so are you, and so am I. I can be really good at being really bad. I can be like Saul when it comes to a meal or comes to something else or comes to lending something, and you can too. You can have a different thing going on in your heart than on the outside. And so, yes, we need to be aware of that when it happens to us, but I want to spend more energy on thinking about when I'm doing that. Uh, you know, when I'm pointing this way, I've got fingers pointing back at me. And I want to make sure that I'm actually taking a check there. So we think this is funny. We think this is outrageous that uh, Saul would do this, but uh, we can do the same things. And so we can manipulate and we can turn. And, and sometimes that goes about going back on your promises. I don't know about you, but uh, when the girls were little and they wanted something, I would, and I want to go back on my agreement, I knew I was going to go back on my agreement from the get-go, I would say maybe. And maybe meant No. Oh, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we can do this. And I was already setting up because in my heart, I didn't want to do it rather than saying no. Now, sometimes, you know, gently letting someone down. But a lot of times I, I had no intention. And it sounds kind of funny. I had to come to terms with that. That, that for me, and kids, if you're around here and your parents say maybe today, let's go to McDonald's after or go for ice cream or whatever. And they say maybe you know, you know, whatever, but, uh, um, but I had to, I had to come to, I, I did not want to present what I was going to do in, in the back of my mind, have no intention of doing it because that, that's a hot, that's a mind game. So going back on promises, anyone who deceives someone, Ooh, that means that's deception often deceives someone and then says, I was only joking, is like a fool. And we've talked about fool being um, someone who's morally in a place, not someone who can't think well. is like a fool who shouts, who shoots flaming arrows into the air and accidentally kills someone. I actually have a friend that uh, talked about doing this one time. They thought it would be funny and they shot an arrow, not a flaming one, up in the air. And then all of a sudden they realized what they did. They're like all running around because the arrow's coming back down. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but uh, that seems you know, just wrong. It's, you're going you're gonna to get, get burnt on that. And so this idea of I was only joking when you really weren't joking. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we're navigating relationships and we're thinking about, wow, am I wicked good at being wicked bad? If we present a concept with the intention of never doing it, we're falling into that. That's what, that's what Saul, Saul was hoping that uh, these girls of his would not be the husband or the wife of David very long. He was hoping they were going to be done pretty soon and move on to somebody else. 
also with this idea of shifting the blame. What a great strategy. Get somebody else to do your bidding. That's what Saul's trying to go. The Philistines, oh, what a shame. I, I can't believe it. And you know what's amazing is King David does this later on, doesn't he, with Uriah. Send him into battle, pull back, Uriah gets killed. Again, similar tracks in a lot of areas. The one thing is God was with one and God was not with the other. Big difference here. We are all in love with our own opinions, convinced that they are correct. But the Lord is in the midst of us, testing and probing our every motive. So he knows where these ideas are coming from. He knows our motives. Before you do anything, put your trust totally in God and not in yourself. Then every plan you will make will succeed. Again, this is a principle, not a promise. Normally, normally, when you check in your decisions with God, trusting him, David had to trust God, even in the future story I told you about, when he has the opportunity to kill David, I mean, kill Saul, he, he trusts God. He, he's trusted God that he'll someday be king. He's trusting God in all these other areas. He's trusting that his men won't get sick and tired of him hesitating. David, you're a wimp. You, you had Saul in your hands, and you, di you, didn't, you didn't execute the, 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 um, execute the king. You didn't execute the situation. You didn't do anything. But he put his trust in God. Then every plan you, will, you make will succeed. Don't, give, don't excuse yourself by saying, Look, we didn't know, for God understands all hearts, and he sees you. He who guards your soul and knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. What comes around goes around. That's biblical. May not happen next week, may not happen three years. If you look at the process of King David, it takes a while for him to become king. And one time he's king for half the kingdom, uh, and it's, it's seven years before he gets king over all of the kingdom. He has to be patient. You know that situation? There's a situation where um, someone, uh, he's got, his men are guarding the flocks of uh, somebody else, and the wife comes back and says, don't kill my husband, and all of this kind of thing. And basically that protected his future um, future. Um, reputation that he didn't do that and he celebrates that he was hot-headed and listened and he and he didn't do that uh, you know god will take care of things and god did take care of things and god will repay us for our actions and there's consequences when a parent doesn't let a child experience their consequences for their actions we would actually say that's bad parenting there needs to be alignment uh, the discipline needs to fit the crime but when there's no discipline, we're setting that child up to think that there's no discipline. And some are no consequence. Someday they will have it. Uh, you know, the joke about, uh, you know, somebody who is kind of sloppy with their, with their hours and all that kind of a thing and doesn't get out of bed and all that kind of thing. And then they get their first job and they're late and all that kind of thing. And the boss says, you're fired. And, 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 the, and the employee, young, young or whatever, is blown away by that because they've never experienced consequences for, for not being good with their time. So this idea that God will hold us accountable. 
So please, shifting the blame is not a good idea. Um, then we see David, and we've talked about this a little bit already, was protected by humility. He, he doesn't jump at uh, being um, the king's son. And uh, why am I so important to you? Why is my, my, why, why is my family important? Why have you made me so important? And, and this whole idea is he really believes this. Because some people could say this, and this could be that whole head game, right? Saul, if that was coming out of Saul's mouth, uh, you know, th- you know that, that, could, that could be like a game. And th- this happens later on when God tells uh, David that he will have a, someone on the throne for eternity and all of those things and put in points towards Jesus, and um, he's just blown away. Why would he give him that? And uh, he knows his heart. And uh, so this humility, and when you and I uh, are humble, when we... Have, our, have the power that we have, the right to make choices, and it's under control of the Holy Spirit because God is with us, Emmanuel. It protects us. It doesn't mean you don't take action, but it does mean when you're humble, you know, always taught, uh, don't sit in the primary seat. Jesus talks about that in, a, you know, don't sit in the primary seat. Wait to be asked to sit there. So it's kind of that kind of humility. Also, we see that uh, God has had it with the proud, but takes a delight in just plain people. If you feel like you're a plain person, you don't have much talent, abilities like the wow factor, be encouraged. God likes that. He delights in plain people. He resists you when you are proud, but multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. I don't know about you, but I need grace in God's favor. So be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. David's life shows it. And we've read this recently. Live careful before God for he is careful with you. Then we see a second opportunity, a second try to get David wed to get him dead. And we see that happening with that. And again, you know, uh, Saul is, is really good at being really bad. And sometimes, again, we might have a little bit of a soft spot because uh, we're kind of like, well, that was pretty clever. And uh, there's another really bad guy, the Sheriff of Nottingham. And I, I really kind of like him. I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. Then it begins. Why a spoon? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. I love that. <laughs> Did you get that? Uh, I saw something. You know, he talks about cut your heart out with a spoon because it will hurt more digging in there. You get it, you know, and rather than just using a knife. So, you know, you know, Sheriff of Nottingham, good bad guy. So, all right. So when we're in this situation, we see Saul using people for himself. Uh, he does that. Here's a simple rule. A rule of thumb, a guide for behavior. Ask yourself what people, uh, what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this, and this is what you get. Again, love God, love others. Think about that. What would I want someone to do for me in this situation? Maybe you take the initiative and do it for them. 
concealing with flattery. We see this happening with, with uh, Saul. Saul keeps making these offers, and, and David, uh, thankfully, is not totally caught up with this, but we need to be aware of it. Sometimes I've found in my life the people that have flattered me the most, this is going to sound very jaded, are sometimes the quickest ones to pick up like the knife and twist it in my back. I remember uh, way back, 30 years ago, that somebody really wanted me to do something, was celebrating it, and then they were the first one to kind of like get on the other wagon, and, and I was like surprised by that. And so, uh, you know, just, just realizing that, and for Saul, that was the way it was with David. Kind words can be a cover to conceal hatred of others, for hypocrisy loves to hide behind flattery. So don't be drawn into the, by the hypocrite, for his gracious speech is a charade, nothing but a masquerade covering his hatred and evil on parade. Don't worry, he can't keep the mask on for long. One day his hypocrisy will be exposed before all the world. And eventually, eventually we see uh, Saul's heart exposed before the world. He's already thrown a spear at David. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to come out. Everyone's going to see it for what it is, and they're going to see uh, the truth. And so David has to hang on. And likewise, there are times where you and I have to hang on. We see uh, Saul setting a trap. Jesus experienced this all the time. This, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And this is the story about, you know, uh, is it right for us to pay taxes? And Jesus says, give me a coin. And whose picture's on this? Caesar. And then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and God to what, to what is God's to God. And, and that kind of a thing. And just, and just, just kind of gets it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Jesus being tempted and, and all of those kinds of things. And so we just need to be aware. We don't need to walk into these traps. We need to have our mind engaged. And at the end, we see that the Philistines are dead. David's wed and Saul is in dread. Oh, isn't that obnoxious? But I liked it. <laughs> Why is that? Because it continues to happen. God continues to turn the situation around. Dad is on the job. Heavenly Father is on the job. God is with him. Emmanuel, God is with him. And because of that, David is protected. And Saul is in dread. He sees there's nothing he can do. Daddy is on watch. And that reminds me of this really good father. Hey, see the guy taking my little girl out, huh? No, why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pop. Come on, baby. Watch this. Finder on the Hyundai Genesis. Back so soon? Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? Do you 
believe that God is your Heavenly Father and that when someone is giving you a hard time, he says, you're messing with the wrong guy. God's for you. You're his child. He's with you. It can make us a little nervous. It also could be very reassuring that he is with us everywhere. He's got better than a tracker. He's in our life through the Holy Spirit. And so when you and I are walking through life, when you and I are trying to avoid these traps, when you and I are uh, trying to respond, not react, when we're not trying to get caught up with things, when we're trying to practice humility, he is with us. And because he's with us, we really can realize that God is our sanctuary. He's your resting place. Really trying to remind myself to do this. When I start to feel a lack of peace and I'm on the fly, I can actually stop in my mind and go, God, I'm checking in with you. You are my sanctuary. And then if I'm really serious about this idea, when I can pull away, I pull away and find that he is my sanctuary. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes I love when I take a little bit of a nap and I just kind of take a deep breath and rest in God's presence and I find that my little power nap of 15 minutes turns into a prayer time. He's my sanctuary. And then I get up actually more rejuvenated than sleep. And that's not to say you don't need sleep, so don't think that that you can ignore the fact that you're a human being. But what a great thing that God is your sanctuary. You don't have to be here. Wherever you go, Emmanuel is with you. But my eyes are toward you. I'm looking in the direction of God. I'm looking for him to show up. I'm looking for him to be a part of my eyes, my life. So I'm, my eyes are looking in your direction, oh God, my Lord. And you I seek refuge. I'm not going to self-medicate with an extra drink or a little extra you know, pain medicine or a little extra ice, well, most of the time, not ice cream. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go buy something so I feel good. I'm going to find that Jesus is my refuge. Leave me not defensive, defenseless, and you are not defenseless. When people are messing with the wrong daddy, keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and have and the, from the snares of evildoers. David writes this. Let the wicked fall into their own net while I pass by safely. David experienced that. You and I can experience that. And what's amazing, and even towards the end of uh, Saul's life, when Saul does die, David does not take delight. Saul was David's enemy. David always tries to honor uh, the fact that he's a king. You and I need to honor the fact that a person is made in God's image. God loves that person. So when someone's trying to give you trouble and they fall into the trap themselves, don't take delight in that. Just be thankful that your heart in that moment was in the right place so you weren't doing the same thing. 
but God is our sanctuary. Whatever you're facing, whatever's weighing you down, go to church. Go to your church, which is your sanctuary, which is being with God, Emmanuel. And when you and I find ourselves into that rhythm, when it becomes more and more part of who we are, we're going to see how God flips the tables all the time. Go ahead, set a trap for others, and then watch as it snaps back on you. Start a landslide, and you'll be the one who gets crushed. And we don't, again, say, ha-ha, but God flips the table, and that's exactly what God does in the situation of David and Saul. God flips the tables. And the big difference between these two individuals was God was with one and not with the other. Everyone in this room, everyone listening online, you have the option to have God with you. You have the option to live out of that truth. So the question is, are you living out of that truth? Bottom line is, God is with you, and the question is, are you with him? I'm not talking just about having a relationship with him. I'm not talking about just being saved, being born again. But are you with him? Are you walking with him, traveling with him? Difference between David and Saul. God was with him, and David was with him. Doesn't he write another passage that says, uh, when you uh, seek God and follow God, he'll give the desires of your heart, and that's not because you get the desires of God because you're kind of like uh, you know, paying God and he's paying you back positive. No, it's you're traveling in the same direction, and his heart is your heart, and your heart is his heart, and you're with him. That's why Paul can write this. That is why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God, not love for self, is worked into something good. And that's not to minimize whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, but over time, might be eternity, but over time, we'll see that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And I'm going to say he's even gracious to the fact that sometimes when I have a detail and it's love of self, and I come to terms with that, he works it around and it turns into something good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Saul and David. Our hearts ache for people that uh, miss the opportunities before them. Saul could have been a great king. Uh, you know, this is the guy that hid in the baggage, but never unpacked his baggage. And I ask that you would help us to live out of a relationship with you, the fact that you are with us, and that we would unpack our baggage so that we can be and move in the ways you'd have us to move, so that we can see you as our sanctuary, and we don't have to worry about ourselves turning the tables. We know that in your time, you'll set everything right. We thank you in Jesus' name.